Uh, before I get started, is, is this too loud? Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, John chapter five, verse 20, uh, verse one through 23. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate. Excuse me. can't see. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The greatest treasure that we have in this life, in this time that we're living in, is the Word of God. Men chosen and filled by the Holy Spirit of God were inspired to write the Bible. The truth, the truth of the Father's love for us, through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, rings out loud and clear, page after page. 
Our sin debt was placed completely on his son. Jesus willingly gave his life for us on this planet, the planet that he made and sustains. All of creation was in his hands, just as it still is today. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 4, we read, Just as he, and he is the Father, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. That's a, that's a heavy charge. He loved us long before we were born into this world, just as he still loves us today. 400 years before the Son of God came into the world, preparations were being made to repair what had been destroyed when Israel was sent into captivity. God had placed in the heart of Nehemiah a, a desire to finally restore the city of Jerusalem. There was a wall that surrounded the city, and in the wall were a number of gates. The wall and the gates had been destroyed by fire. After a time of prayer and fasting, Nehemiah was allowed by King Artaxerxes to return to Jerusalem to repair that which had been destroyed. There were ten city gates that no longer existed. In the book of Nehemiah, beginning in the third chapter, the first verse, then Elishab, the high priest, rose up with his, with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. This is the gate that was near the pool of Bethesda and the first to be repaired. The remaining gates followed. Bethesda means in the Greek language house of kindness and it, and it can also mean house of outpourings or house of mercy. It was here that Jesus began to confront the priest regarding the Sabbath. The Lord Jesus Christ gives us a perspective on this portion of his ministry. Jesus had been on the earth by this time for perhaps 30 years, and the man at the pool had been in the condition that he was in for 38 years. In the encounter that Jesus had with the man at the sheep gate, his name and age were not given. When and how he came to the pool was also not told to us. Whether he came to the pool daily or if he lived somewhere nearby is not given. What he did to survive from day to day again, we're not told. Just that he had been in that condition for 38 years. His hope of being healed was in him being the first into the pool after the water had been stirred by an angel. And that had not happened. The manner in which this chapter starts seems that Jesus went looking to find this man. Verse 3 reads, In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. All those that were there were in need of healing. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared to have many to draw from, but he had chosen this man to heal him. At the time, the man had no idea of who Jesus was. In the Gospel of Luke, we have a similar situation with another man. However, this man was paralyzed and unable to move on his own. Beginning at Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it reads, Now it happened on a certain day as he, as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. 
Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they were right in thinking that God alone is the only one who can forgive sins. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he knew what was going on in their minds. He answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? Now Jesus had presented to the scribes and the Pharisees two solutions to the problem, showing them, if they chose to see it, the power of God. He continued, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive, to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Sin against God had caused this man to be paralyzed. However, however faith in God had caused the man and his friends to seek Jesus to be healed. And along with the healing came the forgiveness for all of his sins. The man at the pool had no one to help him after the water was stirred, so he finished, he finished second always, or worse. And finding help was what he was focused on when he answered the question Jesus had asked him, Do you want to be made well? His answer, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. That was a long-winded response, but his answer was yes. The man had given Jesus permission to heal him. So the Lord told him to rise Take up your bed and walk. And that's what he did. The man had been crippled by this infirmity for 38 years. Perhaps seven to eight years before the Lord was born on the earth, the man was afflicted with this condition. This man didn't know Jesus. So when he was questioned about the fact of him carrying his bed on the Sabbath day, his response was that he had been told by the one who had healed him to carry his bed. And that's exactly what he was doing. The reason that we know that the condition that he was in was caused by sin is brought out the second time that Jesus finds the man, this time in the temple. And Jesus said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. The man at the pool and the paralytic had been punished for the sins they had committed. The one who forgave them and healed them is the one they had sinned against. In these two accounts, we're taught that severe, severe physical consequences can come upon those who have sinned against God. Neither of these two guys had died from the, their sins. However, that could have been a final consequence for both of them. God had given them a second chance at salvation. How many chances has he given us? In, in Hebrews chapter 10... Beginning at the 26th verse, we read, For if we sin willfully 
after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation will devour the adversaries. And adversaries doesn't seem to work in that place, so I'm going to give you the definition of ad adversaries, which is those who resist or oppose. I'm going to read it again. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour those who resist or oppose. In Luke chapter 13, beginning at the 10th verse. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called, to her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you're loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham. Whom Satan has bound. Think of it. For 18 years. Be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things. All his adversaries. Those who resisted or opposed him. Were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced. For all the glorious things that were done by him. Now this woman. Had been. Unable to stand up straight for 18 years. Because in some way. Satan had crippled her. And that shows the power of the enemy of God and man. 18 years. In the ninth chapter of John, we have an account of another man that was born severely handicapped. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And by this time, the disciples had, had the understanding or had actually made the connection between sin and physical defects. So Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while of this day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with, with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This man was healed on the Sabbath. It was God who had caused this person to be born blind. To grow into adulthood. And have to make a living begging. So that the power and authority of God could be revealed to the world by God's son. The Lord Jesus Christ. And to put the Sabbath under attack. 
One more. Matthew 17, beginning at verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now, epilepsy is defined as any of various disorders marked by disturbed electrical rhythms of the central nervous system and typically manifested by convulsive attacks, usually with the clouding of consciousness. Have any of you experienced epilepsy? I haven't either, but I was around one when I was 11 years old. That was a long time ago. I was in the sixth grade in elementary school, and we were in class, and, and one day, from the center of the room, this, this young girl starts, we were all young, but she started making these noises, like she was trying to gargle her tongue. And we looked over, and, and she had gotten stiff as a board, and she was just, and she was shaking violently. And so the teacher ran and grabbed her and took her out of her seat and laid her on the floor, where she continued just to shake and make these noises. And then after a while, she stopped. And uh, we were scared to death. And to my knowledge, she never had a boyfriend in that class because everybody was <laughs> afraid of her. Plus, she had a really sharp tongue. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now, I don't know if this girl was demonically possessed because eventually she did, I think she did get married. She had a boyfriend, but we didn't know him. Our class didn't know him, and she ended up having children. But she did have a really, really sharp tongue, and everybody that I knew of stayed away from her. To this day, I haven't seen her since, that, since we left that class. But to, re to, to realize that epilepsy can be caused by a demon, that's a heavy trip. That's a really heavy trip. The Jewish leaders of the time were focused on keeping their version of the law given to them by Moses, which by that time had become corrupt. Jesus set about to correct their error by healing various people on the Sabbath day from their sin or the different infirmities they had. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, we see the last day of creation before the Sabbath. And if this day didn't take place, there would have been no need for the Sabbath. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he, create, he created them. He made all of us spiritually in his image. 
and gave us dominion over everything that he had created on the earth. It was created by him for us. The next day spoken of in Genesis chapter 2 was the Sabbath. The day that God had made for man. It was for the supposed violation of the Sabbath that the Jews wanted to kill their Messiah. And also that he had made himself equal with God. The law regarding the Sabbath is recorded in Exodus chapter 20, beginning at the 8th verse. It reads, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall, you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He set it apart for holy use. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus finally explains what was lawful to do on the Sabbath day that he had made. In Matthew 12, beginning, beginning at the first verse, it reads, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane or defile the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay a hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Jesus, the one who made the Sabbath, had to tell the Pharisees the truth. And the truth was that it was lawful to do good. It was very lawful, completely lawful to do good on the Sabbath. But the Sabbath had come under attack by the enemy of God because it held a special place in creation. It was a day that was set apart to remember the one who created everything and to praise him and give him glory. 
The other thing that Jesus had to deal with was them rejecting him as being equal with God. And that's a hard one to cover. However, he does a couple of things together. He continues dealing with this. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, Paul deals with the Sabbath at the end of the first chapter, but he he speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he is God. And, uh, and it's really... Uh, for me, when I, I used to have a hard time with Paul, I used to read his stuff and I thought, well, how do you, all, how do you know all this stuff? And, and how are you coming up with all this stuff? And then I read that he had been taught by the Lord Jesus Christ for three years out in the Nabataean Desert. So some kind of way, heaven opened up and there's Jesus teaching Paul. And when I realized that, then I realized that whatever it is that Paul had to say was true. Paul told the truth. He had to because he was completely convinced that Jesus Christ is God, as am I. So in, the, in, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he's writing from prison in Rome. And he's um, doing it to address a number of issues that are, for, that are facing the church in Colossae. The reason that it was written was to refute the teaching known as Gnosticism that was being embraced by Jews and Gentiles. And basically... The attack was being aimed at the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the way the attack went was basically God was considered to be good. But flesh was considered to be evil. And therefore, Jesus, since he was born a man of flesh, could not be completely God. And if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, then you're, you're not saved. You cannot be saved. And so whoever had started that was definitely attacking the church and trying to get them to do things that were not right. Um, people were being caught up in the worship of angels. If you can imagine that. I don't know how they were worshiping angels because I still haven't, I don't think I've seen one yet. Has anybody seen an angel? I don't know how they did it. And they were also holding on to uh, the ceremonial rituals of Old Testament law and many other things. And so at the, near the end of this chapter, the first chapter about the Sabbath, um, Paul just has a little sentence. But Paul is so long-winded. And, and I'm going to have to read a lot of this, so bear with me. Because it just, but it spells out who the Lord Jesus Christ is and some of his power. For this reason, we also, that's verse nine. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power. For all patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He, the Father, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. What a blessing. In whom we have redemption through His blood, 
the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. We're almost there. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If, this is a long sentence here, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard here it is which was preached to every creature under heaven when was that when would every creature be under heaven be without sin and be listening to God the first Sabbath creation creation when everything was created which was preached to every creature under heaven, including us. Whether you know it or not, or whether you believe it or not, we're all the same age. Not physically, spiritually. We were all created on the same day. There's, there was no more creation after God did day six and created everybody, all the spirits in his image. Where we were stashed, I have no idea. I have no idea. But we're all the same age and we were there. And it kind of blows me away because I don't remember it. However, there are things that we all do remember. All of us in this room are afraid of dying, aren't we? I mean, you're not kind of if you knew that right outside that door was somebody standing with a gun. Would you walk out that door? I think we'd all head out that door. (laughs) So we're not looking to die. Um, We know a lot of things that are wrong. The very first time I stole something, the very first time, I was so convicted. And I was just a kid, 10, whatever it was. I stole something. And, and I ended up, after I had gotten away with it, clean. I was clean. I was headed down the street. I got to a point to where I couldn't take another step. I turned around and went back in there and gave it back. Why? Because God has put it in us. We know that God is real. We know that God is true. And he's told us so much that's just so far down. And, and that's what the law is about. And that's why the Jews had messed it up. The law is just to keep us going in the right direction so that we don't go off to the left or the right pursuing, uh, you name it, theft, adultery, murder, doing all those hard things, worshiping strange gods that are not God. That's what the law was about, to keep us on that path. And God had to bring Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, back to the right path. 
which is really interesting. But anyway, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. And Paul didn't exaggerate when he spoke of anything pertaining to God and what he had been taught. He had been instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and Paul took his calling very seriously. In Romans chapter 9, in the first verse, this is what Paul says, and this is what I think they ought to do in, in, when you go to court. When they have you standing there and you're going to testify and you got this, this is what they ought to say. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. What a way. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Wow. Now that's a heck of a way to start up anything. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow. As we all will, as the older folks who've been here for a while, we have great sorrow and continual grief in our heart for the people that are not saved. And I, that's not there, but for the people that are not saved. I have a neighbor who's in hospice. He has colon cancer. And he's 86 or 87 years old, and he's refused treatment. So he's dying. And he's... We used to go to breakfast every Wednesday morning. We'd go and we'd sit and we'd talk about all kinds of things. He was from Texas and his, one of his aunts had 35,000 acres and he would tell me the story about cattle drives because he's, he knew his grandfather and all these people. And, and so we got kind of close. But he never really wanted to talk about the Word of God. And so now, he told me uh, last Friday before the election, this election is coming up, he'll, he won't be here. He knows he won't be here. They've given him, I guess, an approximate time. But he won't tell me what it is. So I went there. I didn't take my Bible. My, my Bible stays in my truck. But what I do is I carry these pieces of paper. And on these pieces of paper, I have scripture. And on this one, this is Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 13. And you, you guys know what that is, right? All of you. Yes? <laughs> this is what I read to my, my friend that's uh, going to die. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's why I took this. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It goes back. I might have to use it again. I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren. My countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises. 
of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Now, there was only one time when preaching to every creature under heaven could have taken place, and that was during the first Sabbath, before sin was introduced into the world by the devil. So the Lord Jesus Christ had intentionally healed a man on the Sabbath, knowing full well that the religious authorities would be upset to the point of wanting to take his life. Not only that, he had told the truth about being equal with God, and they wanted to kill him for that also. In the last part of tonight's study, we, in, uh, we encounter the Son of God revealing his relationship to the Father and the Father's relationship to the Son. To the Son. Sometimes we tend to think that we, can, we understand a great deal about who God is and the things that God has done, is doing, and can do. The true and living God is far above our abilities, no matter how smart we think we are, to comprehend some of the smallest things about him. If he didn't tell us, we'd never know. So he gives us small portions about himself so that we can at least begin to try and understand some of the things about his power and his glory and his his presence and, and who he is. What he's doing, will do, and when. That's why we have John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. We'd never know if it wasn't true. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's a heavy statement, isn't it? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. When we become children of God, we're saved, redeemed, and are given eternal life. By the third chapter of John, the one who was introduced to us as the word, we now know as Jesus, the Christ of God, the anointed of God. By the 16th verse of chapter 3, we, we read that remarkable thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's serious. That's serious. And we've probably said it and heard it so many times we don't want to hear it anymore. But it's serious and it's true. Because that's the only way we live forever is through the Lord Jesus Christ. When God the Father gave the greatest, the greatest gift to mankind, the gift he gave was his son. And all we had to do was believe in him. He loved all of us even when we didn't deserve it. When we get to chapter 5, God is again revealing to us another aspect of the, of the relationship that the Father has with His Son. 
In uh, 5.15 it reads, The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. That was the guy that was uh, at Bethesda, at the pool. For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father's been working until now and I've been working. The Jews believed not only that they were speaking for God, but were defending the Sabbath that God had instituted. Once the man who had been healed told him that it was Jesus who had made him well, they should have praised him, praised the Lord Jesus Christ and given him glory, but they didn't. They were angry with him because he had told the truth. My father has been working until now and I have been working. And that was true. The Sabbath went throughout every part of Jewish life. So important was the Sabbath that a major section of the Mishnah, does anybody know what the Mishnah is? Okay. A major uh, section of the Mishnah was devoted to Sabbath rules. Before the Mishnah was a printed document, the Jewish scholars and, and judgments that were made were mostly oral. What they would do is they would make these things up and they would memorize them. And then over time, what they did was they committed them to paper and was called the Mishnah. It was believed. This is what they believed. And this is why they were after one of the reasons they were after Jesus. It was believed that obedience to the Sabbath had a direct connection to the Messiah, to the coming of the Messiah. It was thought at least minimum, minimally that the coming of the Messiah was linked to, to the perfect keeping of one Sabbath. If they could just keep one Sabbath perfectly, then the Messiah would, would come. And that's what they believed. I don't know where they got that from. Also, belief and obedience in keeping the Sabbath would have an effect on the ultimate destiny of mankind. That's how serious they took the Sabbath, and that's why they, they hunted Jesus. And just, they didn't back off. But not only in John, but also uh, in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is, per is portrayed as seemingly unconcerned for certain rabbinic tra tradition, excuse me, traditions about the Sabbath. The rules of the rabbis were a misunderstanding of God's design for the Sabbath. Chapter 5, verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. And that's a hard one. What Jesus said is a little bit hard to understand. But basically, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together make up the true and living God. However, the idea is that whatever the Father did in creation or in response to anything happening, the son responded in the exact same manner. Now, even though the Holy Spirit is not mentioned here, the spirit was present in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what was recorded in Luke chapter 3. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended in the bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you're my beloved son and you are well pleased. And when you go through all the gospel accounts, all of them, you never find a single verse that said and the spirit left the Lord Jesus Christ you'll never find it because he never did in verse 20 
It reads, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. God's infinite love is expressed in a Greek word in this portion of Scripture. The Greek word for love in this verse is the word phileo. The Son of God is referring to this quality of love that the Father has for his Son. This appears to be the only time that phileo is used when speaking of the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father. Now, phileo is defined as to be a friend to or fond of as an individual. And the reason that this kind of love is mentioned is because God created all love. Apart from God, there is no love. All love was created by God. Um, in the last chapter of John, and I forgot what chapter that is, after Jesus has uh, risen, he's back and he's at the beach and the guys are out fishing. And they know it's him on the shore. And so Peter, of course, jumps off the boat, comes in there and there's Jesus. And after they eat, Jesus asks the question, Peter, do you love me? You guys remember that? Ah, good. And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And everybody knows about those loves, right? Okay. Because, and for those of you that don't know or remember, Jesus asked Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. Meaning, Peter, do you love me with everything that you have? Peter said, Lord, I love you as a brother, as a friend, as my king, but nothing more. Because Peter had denied him a few times before he was crucified. So Peter had to learn a lesson, and the lesson was to not lie. So he's standing there telling the incarnate God the truth. So he asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Peter says, I love you as a brother. I phileo you. And feed my lambs, feed my sheep. The last time, and it says that Peter was upset. Peter was about to cry because Jesus asked him, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. And that's a heavy trip too. But God made all love. So whatever it is, um, if his love is from him. So he's talking, here's the, the son of God referring to this quality of love that the father has for his son. And he had to do it to show us, you know, all the different aspects of, of, of love in this life that we deal with. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 17, after Jesus has been baptized, there's a voice that heard that comes from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The word translated from the Greek is the word agapatos, meaning dearly or well-loved. The different Greek words used to try and describe the perfect love of God, they kind of fall short, but that's all we have. But it does give us enough understanding of what is in God and the love that God has aimed for us. Because when we go back to 316, for God so loved the world, it's not phileo. It's agape. Agape. He loves us with everything that there is. He holds nothing back. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. The idea being expressed by this verse is that Jesus is God 
and the source of life, just as the Father is God and is the source of life as well. The first, the first chapter of John states, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. In him was life. God is life. The Lord Jesus Christ is life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In verse 22, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. Both the father and the son are perfect in one accord. The judgment of both were and are in complete agreement. Verse 23, that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Honor means a good name or public esteem. That's from the dictionary. Um, a person of superior standing, one whose worth brings respect or fame. So if we do not honor the Son of God, we are also dishonoring the Father who sent him. The triune God is perfect in every way in his ability to, to create. God shows imagination, infinitely complex thought, and the power to bring it, bring it into existence and to sustain that existence anywhere throughout all time. In closing, there are some things we should remember. On a daily basis, we should not forget that sin can have dire consequences in our lives. At the pool of Bethesda, there were a multitude of sick people, blind and lame. How many of those illnesses were caused by sin? I haven't a clue, but God knew. We were born into this world with a fallen nature, and that nature will be with us until we get to heaven. Even though we have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ through the sacrifice of himself for our sins, we are still sinners. We're still sinners. That hasn't changed. Jesus came into this world to do many things. He came to the Hebrews to show them that he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the coming one. He came as a prophet, a priest, and a king. In Matthew 11, Beginning at the fourth verse, when John the Baptist was uh, in prison, he sent messengers to ask Jesus, to ask him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to him, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to him. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He stopped storms he walked on top of the water. He cast out demons and fed thousands of people. And that's not all. Before we were born, before our parents were born, or their parents, Jesus, nearly 2,000 years, 2000 years ago, died on the cross for our sins. Before we were born or had committed one single sin, our sin debt was paid. I don't know how they did that. I mean, when I say they, I mean the triune God. I have no clue. But we know that God dwells outside of time, and when he gets ready, he steps into time. He's in, he's out. That's awesome. So when Paul wrote that letter to the Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 4, when we had read, just as he chose us, he, the Father, 
chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He loved us long before we were born into this world, just as he still loves us today, right now, this very minute, this very minute. Now, most Christians don't worship God on the Sabbath day. I don't. We worship the triune God in his church on the first day of the week because that's when the one who died for our sins rose from the, from the grave. Now, in the last part, well, in, in John chapter 17, Jesus has what's called a high priestly prayer. And he, he makes some statements in that that are just really uh, extremely heavy. He was getting ready to be crucified, and so uh, it, it reads, uh, the, it, I'm going to skip through it because it's kind of long, but first verse, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. How about that? Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Skip down to verse 16. And it starts, they are not of the world. He's speaking of the disciples. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That's us. We believe in God through the words of the disciples, of the apostles. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Now, here it is. Just as we are one. I in them. This is Jesus speaking. I in them. We're the them. And you and me. How is he in us? God, the Holy Spirit is in us. Jesus is in the Holy Spirit. And the Father is in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we have? Do we have God or what? We have God. We have the triune God. That's what we have. That's what it says here. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. Does it get any heavier than that? Can it get any heavier than that? The answer to that is no. In 1 John, and this is the last time you guys got to turn if you want to turn to it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the, the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is a promise that he has promised us eternal life. The Father sent His Son to save any and all that would respond to the offer of salvation. And here we have Scripture telling the reader that the Father loved not only His Son, whom He sent into the world to redeem the fallen people on this planet, 
but that he loved us. He loved us perfectly and completely and still does. He did then before we were here. He does now and he still will when we're gone. That's the God that we served. Awesome. And beyond my ability to completely understand. What a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your continued goodness, Lord, to us and your mercy. And we thank you for what you've done in our lives. Dear God, you've saved us. You've let us live long enough to understand who you are and what it takes to get into your presence. Lord, if we don't love you, show us how to love you. If we're not abiding, Lord, teach us how to abide. And if we're doing anything that causes our prayers not to be answered, Lord, show us that too. Lord, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for loving us. We thank you for not ever giving up on us. So, Lord, continue to live in us and cause us to abide so that that when this life is over, We'll be in your presence forever. And there will be no more night. It will only be just the goodness of your presence. Forever. Eternal life, Lord. We love you so very much. Lord, we thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.